Luke 10:19. The word of the Lord says, "Behold, I have given you authority." Somebody say authority. To tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Amen. Uh, in 1 John 3, 8, which is what Eunice read earlier, it says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Let me say that again. The reason the Son of God appeared, it says in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we need to continue to do that. Amen? Because there's a lot of works of the devil on the earth today. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And everything, everyone living in it, it, it belongs to the Lord. But it doesn't look like that. And that's where God's people have to say, no, 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 this can't be. This is, this is not permissible. We need to start to go and advance the kingdom into dark areas. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Let me read to you in first, I mean second Peter. Second Peter, where did it go? Second Peter chapter one, verse four. This is a real good verse. It says, He has granted to us his precious and very great promises, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Say partakers. You are to be partakers of the divine nature. What does this divine nature look like? Where Jesus, when he was incarnated in human flesh, when the word became flesh and he walked this earth, do you know what Jesus did? He went around destroying the works of the devil. That was his nature. It was natural for him to destroy the works of the devil. And the Bible tells us that God has given us his very great and precious promises that we may now become partakers in that same divine nature. Now, if you want to partake in Christ's divine nature and destroy the works of the devil, here's something that you need. You need authority. You can't go in and destroy the works of the devil without authority. One mark of Jesus' ministry was authority. People will constantly say, he speaks as one with authority and not like the teachers of the law. And, and what was true of Jesus, God wants it to be true of his people today. He wants us to be a people who know how to exercise authority. A people that, first of all, know how to submit to authority. Hallelujah. Because how many of y'all know somebody who doesn't know how to submit to authority shouldn't be handling authority? Do you ever see a policeman that gets promoted a little too fast? And that boy does not know how to handle his authority? Man, I remember back in New Jersey, back in Pennsylvania, man, I'd get pulled over. My, my friends would get pulled over. A lot of my Asian friends would get pulled over in the urban areas. And we would get, we would get harassed by the police over, over something stupid. And a lot of times these policemen, they didn't know how to handle their authority because they didn't really know how to submit to authority. And so they would abuse their authority. You know, one time, one of my friends, he drove into his driveway in Flushing, New York. Right, And the moment he drove in, I think it was Flushing. It's either Flushing or somewhere near Flushing in Queens, New York. He drove into his driveway and like four or five cop cars. I just exaggerated. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think two or three cop cars. 
Let's divide that in half. Two or three cop cars drove up to his driveway. All the police officers drew their guns and, and started to yell through the uh, microphone, uh, stand down, put your hands on the steering wheel, and come out slowly. Right? And he's, he's like, what's going on? And by the way, can I tell you, he was on Campus Crusade staff. He is a college minister, a college pastor, for crying out loud. But he looks like a gangster. <laughs> He looks, he looks a little Hispanic, so uh, I, I, think, I think they were doing racial profiling. I'm telling you, New York cops, they do racial profiling all the time. And uh, his dad came out the, out the house and said, like, what's going on? Wait a wait a kid, wait a kid. And I started like, saying something in Korean. And the police were like, you stand down too, sir. Stand down, sir. Stand down, stand down. And my friend's getting off said, don't shoot, don't point your gun at my father and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, they arrested him, took him to the police station. I'm telling you, man, some, some cops, man, they be tripping on their authority. That's just, uh, that's not my main message, but I'm just saying uh, it's dangerous for a person who has never submitted to authority to handle authority. But here's the thing. God wants us to partake in his divine nature, and he wants us to destroy the works of the devil. But in order to do that, we must know how to exercise authority. And Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample, to tread. In the ESV, it says to tread. That Greek word is pateo. It means to literally use your feet to crush something, to step on something, to victoriously step on something. You ever watch a good Bruce Lee film? When Bruce Lee destroys his enemy, he does this thing where like he jumps. He like crushes his enemies literally under his feet. That's a great picture of the Greek word pateo. God's given us authority to brusely trample on the devil's face. You know what I mean? To take all of his little human trafficking systems that he set up over Cambodia and Thailand, to go over there and just trample on it. The, the Bible says the head of the church is Christ, and we are the body. All right? A good body usually has feet. You know what I mean? And so, you know, we need to be the feet of Christ sometimes. And the way we, we are the feet of Christ is not just to go, but for us to trample, to tread and put and crush the enemy's work under our feet. But in order to do all of this, you need authority. You need authority. You need to know how to exercise authority. And for a lot of us, the authority has already been conferred to us. When you read Luke ten nineteen, behold, I give you authority, and you believe it, that authority is imparted. That authority is conferred upon you. Now it's a matter of believing you have that authority and exercising it. It's like um, if John Michael passed through the police academy, right, and they go through the ceremony where they say, John Michael Becker, we congratulate you for uh, graduating from the police academy. We confer upon you the authority to serve as a policeman in the NYPD. Right there, that ceremony right there, John Michael is now a cop. He can hold a gun, he can hold a badge, he can get a nightstick, and he can do whatever. He can do racial profiling if he wants to. <laughs> no, that's, that's an abuse of authority. Um, but he's a policeman. But here's the thing. There's a difference between having a badge and then exercising the authority of a policeman. And it takes some time. Because just because you wear a uniform doesn't mean you're going to exercise that authority. 
I mean, you got to believe I'm a policeman. You got to believe I have authority. You know what I mean? And so, you know, um, I forget, was it like a Martin Lawrence movie or one of those funny comedy movies where uh, I think it was Martin Lawrence was uh, dressed up as a policeman and uh, he didn't realize he was dressed up as a policeman. And he was, no, 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 it's not, uh, that's, that's another movie. I'm sorry. There are a lot of different movies where they have the same scene. Where a person's not really a cop, but they are dressed up as a cop. And then they're like, hey, hey, freeze, lay, lay down on the ground or something, you know? And, and they don't really have that authority because they don't really identify themselves as a policeman. Because they're actually not a policeman, right? But even for believers, we have this authority to tread but there's a difference between knowing it in your head and really starting to walk it out through your heart. Like really believing it and starting to identify with it and starting to exercise this authority. Many of you already have the authority. And that authority will increase as you know your identity and as you know the word of God. But even once you know it and identify with it, there's still a difference between exercising it. Stepping out with confidence and boldness that you have the authority. And you exercise authority. All right, let me, let me not confuse you. Let me go on to this quick teaching on the three levels of spiritual warfare. The reason why we need authority to trample on the, the work of the devil is because spiritual warfare is real. And uh, Peter Wagner in his book, uh, Biblical View, uh, Biblical Guide to Spiritual Warfare. What's the name of the book? What the Bible says about spiritual warfare. In Peter Wagner's book, he teaches that there are three Levels of spiritual warfare. So catch this. Number one, it's the ground level. And the ground level represents healing and deliverance ministry. And it's oftentimes targeted toward individuals and situations. So our church, we already practice this. And we actually practice it quite effectively. You know, how many of you in here, you've been set free in one area or another through the healing and deliverance ministry of this church? Come on. Be loud and proud. Come on. I'm clean. Hallelujah. I'm set free. All right. No hands. Uh, our church is already moving in this healing deliverance ministry. And that's the ground level of spiritual warfare. And this is very important. Even if you end up doing like other work, you know, you got to always be ready to be able to minister to individuals. Uh, Rebecca Greenwood, uh, she specializes in the highest level of spiritual warfare. But if you go to her website and you watch some of her videos... Uh, she talks about all these experiences in healing and deliverance in which she helped individuals. In which people were like demonically manifesting and bugging out. And she would get prophetic words and visions and just help them through and get healed and get set free. Ground level is the first level. Second level is the occult level. Occult level. Everyone say occult. occult. Spell it. O-C-C-U-L-T. O-C-C-U-L-T. All right, you know how to spell it now. The occult is different than the cult. Cults. Cults in the Korean is Idan. Uh, Mormons, Moonies, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, Boston Churches of Christ. There's all these different kinds of Idans and cults in America, right? We have a lot of creative ones here in Korea. Like the mother of Jesus, the mother from heaven, the holy mother, mother God. I'm making stuff up right now, but some of those are real cults. Watch out for them. Uh, cults are cults. They are controlling, uh, manipulative, uh, very dominar- domineering, um, false beliefs and doctrines. That's what defines what a cult is, right? The way they practice 
their religion and the actual religion itself. Uh, but the occult is different. The occult, the definition of the occult is when a person seeks knowledge or power from a source other than God. That's the definition of the occult. When a person seeks knowledge, when they go to a tarot card reader, when they go to a palm reader, when they, where they go to any of these stores all along this hill on here in uh, Bogangdong Road, there are uh, fortune tellers everywhere, including in the, in the ground floor of this building. Please don't go there. Uh, a lot of these stores, they have a, what's called, that looks like a swastika on, this, on, on, on squared. And it's actually not a swastika, it's a Buddhist sign. And these signs are there to help people find the fortune tellers in the neighborhood. And if you start looking out for them, they're everywhere along this road. Actually, they're everywhere in Korea. Even celebrities, you know, they can call up hotlines where they can get a famous psychic to, to, to prophesy or, or to fortune tell over them. You know, the occult is seeking knowledge or power. Power. You know, we, we joke about it. There are, uh, there are pop songs about it. Love potion number nine. <laughs> you know, a love potion, if you don't know what a love potion is, it's a, it's a nasty drink that you make and you cast spells over it and then you try to get the person you're interested in to drink it. So once they drink it, it's supposed, they're supposed to fall in love with you. All right? Now you think, man, what kind of crazy mess is that? But I'm telling you right now, those things are real. Especially when witchcraft is involved, sorcery is involved. Those things actually have powerful attributes. So think about the last time you fell in love with somebody that you really weren't interested in. <laughs> it may have been a love potion. <laughs> Ladies, don't ever drink. Men, too. Don't ever drink an open drink. Never take an open drink from a stranger. Um, but sorcery is real. Not because the love potion itself has any physical properties, but because of ceremonies that they go through to give it power. Uh, in Haiti, you go to Haiti, there's a lot of voodoo practices. And the way they make these voodoo spells more powerful is they make blood sacrifices with animals or with children. Especially the blood of a virgin innocent child. Has much more power over these spells. All right? What are people doing there? They are seeking a power from a source that's other than God. You know, we seek power every week, but we seek it from God. You know, when we pray for people and they're shaking and they're crying and then they start falling on the ground, man, that's power. I'm not saying, hey, when I pray for you right now, you're gonna start to shake, okay? All right. And then when I pray for you more, you're going to fall on the ground, okay? All right. I mean, there is no agreement. That conversation never happens. I don't know who you are. You come up, I pray for you, and bam, you get blasted, and you're on the ground, and you don't know what's hit you. Or like some people, they swear that somebody pushed them. Generally, at New Philly, we don't practice pushing, although sometimes it's appropriate. Most of the times, we don't push people. We just... We just you know, we just lay a little hand. You're on the ground. You're like, somebody pushed me. Nobody pushed. It was the power of God that hit you. We seek power, but when we seek it, we seek it in God. When we seek it in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We, when we pray for the sick, we're seeking power. But here's the thing. The dark side, they also pray for the sick. But their source of power is not from heaven. Oh, let me get on the Easter medicine right now. Oriental Easter medicine. They don't know how acupuncture works. 
You know, back in the 70s, there was a case study done on some Chinese practitioners. <gasps> some Chinese practitioners. <coughs> um, <coughs> that used to do brain surgery, open brain surgery with no anesthesia. They would use acupuncture. Pretty crazy, huh? So the, the medical profession is like, whoa, this is amazing. We could save a lot of money. Let's try to study this. Let's see how this works. Maybe if you do pinch some of these nerves, it, it causes, has an anesthetic effect. They studied it. They tried to replicate it in the Western world. Couldn't do it. You know why? Because what the Western world copies, they didn't get the spirit. They didn't get the source of the power of that anesthetic, the power of healing that the acupuncture practitioners hold. There's a spiritual power that a lot of these practitioners who, who operate in Oriental medicine, Eastern mysticism, they have power to heal. But a lot of times that, that healing is temporary. You get into more bondage, you get more symptoms, and then your family starts to get all attacked with all kinds of diseases, and then you think it's all genetics. But in fact, it's just you have opened up yourself through occultic sin. You have opened up yourself to the demonic realm through occultic sins. And you have the authority to close that door through repenting and renouncing it. But the occult, second level of spiritual warfare is the occult level. So in the book here, Rebecca Greenwood gives uh, uh, an example of Marilyn Manson. Uh, Marilyn Manson came to town when she was living in Houston, Texas. Is that right? Yeah, Houston. And uh, what the church leaders of that, you know, Marilyn Manson, if you guys don't know. Marilyn Manson, the way he got his name is, he took the name of a celebrity and the name of a serial killer and he put it together. Marilyn Monroe, Charles Manson, Marilyn Manson. And he requires his band members to do the same thing. Um, and this guy has gotten impartation, ordination from the church of Satan. And if you didn't know that, Anton LaVey, Anton, I don't know how to say his name, Anton L-A-V-E-Y. Don't look it up because you would get into all kinds of occultic websites. All right. Um, but he laid hands on Marilyn Manson and just like, you know, he's like the son of the satanic church. And he goes around, he uses music to just put a hatred for Christianity in the hearts um, of, the, of his followers. Marilyn Manson is on a mission. He's a man on a mission. He, he, he states very clearly that his mission is to destroy Christianity in America. And uh, Marilyn Manson was coming to Houston. And so the, the leaders of the city, what they did was they started to mobilize prayer on a strategic level. They started to fast and do prayer chains and start to pray specific prayers. Not just general ones, but very accurate, specific, prophetic-led prayers. And then they um, set up people to pray in the parking lot. They even sent people into the concert to pray. Come on now. You know? And what happened was, when, he, when Marilyn Manson started the concert, around the second song, somebody spilled beer onto the sound system. And everything short-circuited. Marilyn Manson got frustrated, threw his stuff on the ground, and walked out. And the concert was canceled. And then right after that, the city officials of Houston passed laws to forbid uh, Marilyn Manson from ever coming back into the city. You know, that's like the occult level, where you where you target not just individuals and situations, but you target witchcraft, um, sorcery, New Age movement, Eastern uh, mysticism. You start attacking these occult 
functions that go on within your region. That's the occult level of warfare. And then the third and highest level of warfare is the strategic level of spiritual warfare. So if you're a leader, you should get all three of these because we're going to start teaching it. And you need to know it, memorize it, and know how to operate in it. All right? So leaders, make sure you catch this. Uh, strategic level. Now, the strategic level is the highest level of warfare. This is where you deal with the highest ranking demons, the powers and principalities, uh, the two Greek terms that Paul uses at the top of his list when he says, our fight is not against flesh and blood, against powers and principalities, and then he goes on. There's four terms he uses. Strategic level warfare will be targeting the top two. This is where you um, target kind of citywide, nationwide issues. Uh, this is where uh, you target geographic territories and social networks. And a lot of times these spirits are also referred to as territorial spirits. And one example of a territorial spirit in the Bible is in Acts chapter 16. Why don't you turn there with me right now? Acts chapter 16. Everybody, please turn there to Acts chapter 16. All right. In this passage, starting from verse 16, you have the story of Paul and Silas getting flogged and thrown into prison. But what happens right before they get flogged and thrown into prison is, look at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Which, by the way, is a true statement. How many of you guys know you can say the right thing, but in the wrong spirit? And a discerning man can know the difference. Uh, let's keep reading. Verse 18. This she kept doing for many days. That's like 10, 8 days, man. That's a long time. You're trying to go around, evangelize, preach, talk to people, heal the sick. And she keeps coming around saying, These men are servants of the Most High God. Telling you the way of salvation. Oh boy, there, there she goes again. Hey Paul, what should we do about that? Just leave her alone. Leave her alone. Next day. Oh no, she's back. These men are servants of the Most High God. Who will tell you the way of salvation. Uh, she's getting pretty annoying. What should we do now? I don't know. Just leave her alone. Leave her alone. All right. All right. Like the fourth, fifth, sixth day, she's keeping this up. The Bible says, verse 18, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. I think it's interesting that it wasn't just instant. It says in that very hour. So I'm sure there was a little bit of like praying and get out. No. These men are men of way of telling the servants of the most high God. I know you said that a million times. Shut up and come out of her. You know, there's some kind of struggle, but she got set free in that very hour. Verse 19. And when her owners saw that their hope was gone, uh, hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, check this out. These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept their practice. They are disturbing our city. What are you talking about? They just 
helped a poor little slave girl get set free from, from a really annoying demon. How are they disturbing the whole city? Right? But they get accused of that. And then if you keep reading, verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them. The crowd's like, they, didn't, they, they probably don't even know anything about the healing deliverance that occurred for the slave girl. But all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, these guys are putting our whole city in uproar. Right? And they just start joining in on this attack. What the heck is going on? Paul and Silas, all they did was help a little girl get healed and delivered. Why the whole city? Why the whole crowd? And then the Bible says they inflicted many blows upon them, meaning they probably punched them in the mouth, punched them in the eye, they get them beat up. And then they threw them into prison, ordered the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, they, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. They were also beaten with rods. Now, uh, Rebecca Greenwood likes to propose here that if this was just a simple spirit of divination operating through a slave girl, it would not have caused this kind of city-wide uproar. And you got to think about like, think of it like a soul, like a Korean people demoing. You know how they get when they demo, Meg? It's crazy. Riot police all geared up. They come out, you know. But, but Ajumas, Ajashis, man. The riot police is no match for the Ajuma Ajashis, man. They're just, they, they be like, No more, no, 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 others, no, you know, you're my age, the son, you're the, you're the age of my son. And they come out and then boom, they like slap the riot police. I mean, it gets ugly. That's like, that's what the scene here in Philippi. Whole city goes into uproar. Over a slave girl getting healed and delivered. And so what Rebecca Greenwood is trying to say is, she's saying that this is no ordinary spirit of divination. Rather, it was a territorial spirit. And if you study the Greek word for spirit of divination here, it's actually the python spirit. And this word python is connected to the worship of Apollo and Pythion in the city of Philippi. And so there was an idolatry going on in the entire city that everyone knew about. And when this, this python spirit was uh, ejected from this girl, it was actually a territorial spirit that they had just um, casted out. And so it just, the, that territorial spirit starts to flex its muscles and starts to just attack uh, Paul and Silas through the entire city. So this is like an upper-level, strategic-level warfare that was happening. But praise the Lord that Paul and Silas, they weren't discouraged. They get beaten with rods. They're thrown into prison. Guess what they do at midnight? It's midnight, right? Yeah, after midnight. About midnight. Guess what they do? They start having church. They start praying and worshiping God within their prison. They're bleeding. They're hurt. Maybe some fractures. You ever get a fracture? Man, it hurts. They're in pain. But they're praising and worshiping God. And then the Bible says in verse 26 that suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All the prison doors flew open and all of the shackles and the chains came loose. Not just Paul and Silas's chains, but everybody's chains came loose. This is uh, a result. This is a direct result of casting out this territorial spirit out of the slave girl. When Paul and Silas confronted this territorial spirit, it had a regional effect on that whole city. And, and, and when effective prayer, prayer is being made, there are signs of that effectiveness that manifests in the natural. All right? And so this earthquake was not just coincidental, is what I'm trying to say. 
is that this python spirit was dislodged from the, from the region of Philippi. And when it was dislodged, there was, a, there was a natural manifestation that reflected what was happening in the spirit realm. And that's what the earthquake represents. And even in the natural, prison doors fly open. And not just Paul and Silas' shackles, because if practically God was just trying to set them free, he would have just done their shackles and their prison doors. But it was everybody's. Everybody's. What does that mean? In the spirit realm, there was an unveiling that was happening. There was a, there was shackles in the spirit realm, bondages in the spirit realm that were being broken through taking on this upper level demon. And so, you know, we have an example of this on our mission, missions trip. Um, we went to India this February. And during the week, we have some powerful ministry. Man, I preach, it was powerful. Let me tell you, man, it was powerful. Aaron preached, and it was even more powerful. They kept clapping for her. I preached twice, she preached once. They kept clapping for her. They never clapped for me. That's okay. That's all right. I'm not insecure about that. Uh, <clears throat> but all three times we ministered and the team ministered, there were healings, physical healings. There were people getting set free and delivered. People getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was powerful, man. Signs and wonders, man. People were just all over the floor. Just getting delivered or getting filled with the Spirit. It's powerful. And on the day that we got on the plane to go home, we read the news. The same day we left, there was a great earthquake in the Manipur region of India. Come on now. That was a natural manifestation of a victory that was taking place in the spirit realm. Oh, come on, man. Uh, uh, let me tell you another story. Our Japan team, for the past two weeks, we were doing work in Japan. And we went <clears throat> a, a little bit, I admit, a little bit, a little bit carelessly to the shrines. And we just tried to pray against those Shinto idolatrous spirits in Japan. And we came back, and a couple days after we came back, there was a 6.4 earthquake up in the Sendai region. Now, that may have been a coincidence because Japan has a lot of earthquakes. But let me tell you, for India, man, that was God. That was a divine sign. I don't know about Japan, but for, for India, man, that was a divine sign. And praise the Lord. It was a big earthquake in India. Praise the Lord for Japan, too. Because Japan, is a six point, it didn't damage anything. There's no reports of death or damage. And even in the India earthquake, it was actually quite big. It was over 6.0. And nobody got hurt. No damages to the buildings and stuff. Come on, man. We're experiencing acts right now. Our church is experiencing acts. <clears throat> but anyway, um, when there's effective uh, strategic level warfare going on, the effect of taking on and binding those spirits is eventually you're going to see people's chains loosed, prison doors fly open, and people responding to the gospel. And you know, over the next 10 years, you know, I think that the Lord is putting it on our hearts to perhaps do missions a little bit more strategically. Meaning that instead of just going into Japan and trying to evangelize to people and do services and stuff like that, just strictly go out. We could still pray for the sick and stuff, by the way. But we'll just strictly, the, the main goal of the trip be to strategically warfare. 
over the nation. Go to these shrines planned, not unplanned because y'all ended up at the wrong park. <laughs> or not unplanned as I just showed up and I was like, oh, that looks neat. Let's do it. Uh, by the way, uh, we, we went, the Japan team before Aaron and I arrived, they uh, were looking for March for Jesus because Che Aaron was doing a March for Jesus in Japan. But they went to the wrong park. And they ended up where there were all these shrines. And then Lydia was like, hey, let's just pray these shrines down. And so they started praying. And then all the team members started getting sick and nauseous and all this stuff. Because, you know, I'm telling you right now, man, this is upper level. This is strategic level warfare. You don't want to just, just presumptuously do it. But Lydia did, man. Lydia presumptuously just went in. All team members got, like, sick and nauseous. All right? It wasn't your fault. It was, don't worry. It wasn't all your fault. Uh, some of it was your fault. But, uh, and so when, when Aaron and I arrived, right, you know, <clears throat> we go visit a shrine on Tuesday, and uh, I look over, and the team is like way back there. They're like afraid to come up to the temple. I'm like, what are y'all doing? Come on. We'll... Don't be scared. Greater is he was in us than he was in the world. Come over here. And, I, and, you know, and we start going up, and later on, they told me the stories of the previous uh, couple days before where they got sick and stuff, and they weren't looking forward to that again. And... Uh, I admit, it was spontaneous for me too, all right? I just said, hey, those are shrines. Let's hit those shrines hard. Three groups, everyone pray right now. We split up in three groups, pray for 30 minutes. <laughs> and uh, people, once again, they felt physical attack on their bodies. You know, because this is a real warfare. You know, me, man, I don't feel nothing. Maybe that's a good thing. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes, I don't feel nothing. When the demonic spirits come, I don't feel nothing. You know, I just got to move by faith. Everything's by faith. But uh, I went up onto the shrine. I was like marching back and forth. They're, these people were like over here at the altar. They're giving money. Ding, ding, ding. And I, I just like walking past. I, I pray that that altar becomes bankrupt. No more money in that altar. I'm just praying for the people and walking back and forth. And, uh, and unfortunately, everyone, everyone else was feeling nauseous and sick. And so we wrapped it up with the time of uh, praise and intercession. But that was good. When we did it together, there was definitely a greater grace for... Um, but no, the teammates said that when, because Aaron and I were there, they actually didn't get as strongly attacked as the previous day. So, um, hey, what I'm trying to say is, let's strategically plan on doing that stuff next time we go to Japan, rather than spontaneously doing it because we think it's a great idea. Because uh, when you want to take on these types of upper-level demons, you know, you do need to... Um, do your homework. Uh, you do want to strategically go in. Um, yeah. So those are the three levels of spiritual warfare. The ground level, the occult level, the strategic level. And uh, I'll teach on it more in leadership training. But uh, I want to teach right now about how to pray with authority. How to pray with authority. I got two minutes to teach on how to pray with authority. Let me give you three points. Three points on how to pray with authority. Number one, timing. Timing. If you want to pray with authority, you got to move out in the correct timing. Uh, Greek words for time, there's two words. Chronos and kairos. Chronos and kairos. Chronos time is just time in general. You know, July 24th, 25th, 26th. Uh, Kairos time is a Greek word that refers to 
a strategic moment when something should be done. So sometimes we show up to a, a, a joint prayer meeting, we show up to a Sunday service, and Aaron and I, we just feel like this is a Kairos moment for Esther. Esther, come on up, we're going to pray for you right now. This is like a strategic moment where something needs to be done. You know, and, and we have these Kairos moments. You know, and, uh, and when you pray with authority, you got to learn how to discern the times and seasons in which we're in. Um, in First Chronicles 12.32, it talks about the sons of Issachar. How they were able to discern the times and seasons in which they lived. And what the church needs today is the spirit of the sons of Issachar. We need a people that move out in, according to the calendar of heaven. According to the timing of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So when you pray with authority, you got to make sure that you're moving out in timing. Uh, Rebecca Greenwood says, moving into warfare before the correct timing can be an open door for the enemy. Yeah. Uh, number two is if you want to pray with authority, you got to pray accurately. You got to pray accurately. Um, Bible says, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But if you really want to pray effectively, you got to also pray accurately, which is where the prophetic gifts come in, uh, prophetic visions, prophetic dreams, prophetic words, people with the gift of prophecy, releasing different prophetic insights. We got to pray and pray with accuracy, meaning uh, not only do we depend on the prophetic, but we also depend on our research. We should study up on the history of a nation like Japan. Uh, what Rebecca Greenwood does is she'll actually study up the history of uh, Kiev. She shows a study, case study in here about Kiev and how, uh, or even Germany, and how sometimes the way that Satan defiles a nation is through the shedding of innocent blood. And so by shedding all the innocent blood of all these Jews that were, um, that were slaughtered through the Holocaust, uh, Satan was actually defiling and oppressing uh, the European land and the, and the German land and, and the German people and things like that. And so um, when we go into different areas, it's good to know the history. Like, why, how did Japan come to be the way it is? What is the spiritual history of Japan? What are some of the idolatry that they struggle with? What are some of the things in their culture that needs to be rooted out? Things like that, you know? And as you identify those things... We start to pray accurately into those things. So in our church is actually, I would say, pretty good at praying for South Korea. Because we do our research. John Michael does his research. John Michael does his research. John Michael does his research. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for your research. Now, I do research here and there too. But, uh, you know, we know exactly what to tackle. We try to tackle uh, abortion. Because what's not highly publicized is that Korea has really high abortion rates here. And the, a lot of people propose that back in Old Testament times, there was a God. There were many gods, actually, where people sacrificed children, baby infants. They would throw them into the fire. They would sacrifice and slit open children and give the blood of these infants onto their gods. And the spirit of these idols... Some people propose it's still at work today, but it's worked through abortion. The shedding of the blood and the death of all these innocent, unborn children. 
And when that happens, that puts a defilement on the land, a curse comes onto the land that we, we as intercessors need to learn how to confess the sins of the land, pray for cleansing and healing, and pray for that curse to be turned into a blessing. Right? And so, um, where was that? Yeah, research is pretty key as well as the prophetic gifts into learning how to pray accurately. Praying with authority involves praying accurately. And third is, learn the warfare language. Learn the warfare language. And I really like this point. It's my point. I made this up. You got to learn the warfare language. If you have the faith and the authority, but you don't have the vocabulary, you are not going to be able to pray with authority. Like even um, in football, in American football, if you are a quarterback and you don't know football vocabulary, it don't matter how much you know about football. If you don't know how to use quarterback terms and quarterback vocabulary and, and, and hype up the, your teammates, you're going to sound like, a, like, a, like an idiot. You're not going to be very effective as a leader on the football team. You know what I mean? You got to learn the vocabulary. Any good quarterback who gets traded to another team, he has to learn a whole new vocabulary at that team because blue, blue, 24, blue, hut, 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 hike. You know, all of that, each team has a different hut, hike system. Because, you know, you want to throw off the defense. You don't want them to get a jump start on you. So you want to keep them on, your, on their feet. So you use a hut, 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 hike. You know, or you do a little shoulder shrivel or something. There's different things, different things that teams do to throw off the defense so that they don't know when that ball is going to get hiked. Right? And you blew all these audibles, you know. Red, 87, left, uh, golden hook. Or I don't know what they say, but you go to a new team, a quarterback has to learn a whole new vocabulary. Well, here's the thing. Christians, we need to learn the vocabulary, period. We don't even know the vocabulary of warfare. And so that's why I recommend books like... Um, Prayers That Route Demons by John Eckhart. Rules of Engagement by Dr. Cindy Trim. Uh, Authority to Tread. This will be more of a strategic book, textbook for strategic level warfare. But the other two books are going to really teach you the, the language. We need to put language to our faith. Amen? Um. So yeah, let me, let, me, let me demonstrate some of, the, some of the language that you will find in some of these books. Uh, here are some prayers that are directly taken from Rules of Engagement. It says, I establish divine parameters, boundaries, and borders, and I legislate and establish that the laws of the kingdom of heaven to govern all activities within. You're like, whoa, that sounds collegiate. <laughs> hey, why not? You know, we're educated, right? Um, but this will be an excellent prayer to pray for your missions team. If you're a missions team leader, pray this before you take on a shrine. You know? <laughs> or, um, or this will be great for um, beginning a healing deliverance session or something. You know? uh, another one will be, I decree and declare that no intrinsic or extrinsic weapon, be it emotional, financial, social, physical, psychological, interpersonal, spiritual, or organizational formed against me shall prosper. Here's the thing. The devil is pretty legalistic. And you can just pray a general prayer. But Satan will he'll dodge all those, all those prayers and be like, hey, I still got access. I still got legal access. And when you start to pray specifically, that's when you start to really target every ploy of the enemy. 
Uh, here's another word, uh, another prayer. I overrule, disallow, and veto every diabolical sanction, subverting activity, injunction, directive, mandate, or order that poses the will of the Lord concerning my life, ministry, and family. Oh, come on, somebody. We need to get this vocabulary in our system. We got to learn the language of warfare. No soldier hits the battlefield without learning the language of his, uh, what do they call it? Army platoon, battalion, battalion, platoon, and different groups, yeah. You don't just go out there and then, you know, hey man, I need a grenade, I need a grenade. They shoot you in the head. <laughs> that man is asking for a grenade, let's shoot him. You know, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be able to use the language out there that you, that, that are, is gonna be effective for the warfare. You know, and so, you know, one is timing, second is praying accurately, but third, we got to learn the language of praying with authority. And you know what? When you learn this type of language, and I believe our church is going to shift into it at this season, uh, people are going to see a new level of faith. They're going to see a new level of authority when you start to use this language. Hey, Esther, can you pray for my cousin? My cousin's real sick. And Esther comes in and, and she starts to say, I veto every attack of the enemy on my cousin's body, on her liver, on her, on her uh, liver, on her right arm. I just come against this right now and I destroy, I nullify it, I put it under my feet in the name of Jesus. They'd be like, whoa, Esther, calm down. <laughs> they may say calm down, but they're like, thank you. That sounded so powerful. Now, you don't want just the language of it. You, you want to make sure you have the faith and the authority behind it. But once you got the faith and authority, you got to put some language to it. You know what I'm saying? So, man, I just feel like God's really going to take our church into a new level of praying with authority at this season. He's raising up an army of mighty warriors. That's the vision of our church. We don't want you to just pray with faith. Praying with faith is cute. It is. It's nice. It's cute. But when you start to take on and confront the forces of darkness, praying cute doesn't go very far. You know, do, do you know what I'm saying? When you get to that level, you got to pray with authority. You got to speak with authority. You know, when, um, when David, can I tell you something? When David met Goliath, David spoke with authority. He was just a young shepherd boy. But when he saw Goliath, he not only spoke with authority and faith, not only did he uh, speak with authority and faith, but he also had the language to go with it. Because he was like, you come against me with javelin and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Man, that sounds so mushy, so that sounds so cool. You know? If I was watching, I'd be like, whoa, he sounds cool. He's about to get killed, but he sounds cool doing it. <laughs> but he had the language to back up that faith. And then, boom! He spoke out with authority. Then he threw that stone with authority. And Goliath's head was off his body a few minutes later. That's symbolic, right? The head is the authority figure, right? And so, you know, when he chopped off the head, that's like, that's like killing the authority of the devil. It's taking off the authority of the devil. 
The reason the Son of God appeared, brothers and sisters, was to destroy the works of the devil. We are to continue to do that today. But we got to pray with authority. So next time you're doing a photography project that's really secretive, that no one else knows about, make sure you're praying with authority. Make sure you're prayed up. Prayed up with authority. And no attack of the enemy will be able to prevail against you. All right, let's take this on. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I just pray for every person in here, God. And I just pray that, Lord, you will stir up. You will stir up their faith right now to partake in the divine nature. Lord, we thank you for the gift of everlasting life. We thank you and praise you for the cross. But Father, we don't just want to stay there, Lord. We want to go on to do the works of Jesus. We want to go on and carry the ministry of Jesus. We want to partake in his divine nature, Lord. And just as Jesus spoke with authority, he did ministry with authority, I pray that in this house you will raise up an army of mighty warriors with authority, God. An army of David's, Lord. Just as it says in your word, in that day, the least of you will be like David. The least of you will be like David. Father, I just pray that God in this house... just a person who just became a member of the church the least among those in this house would be like David they will speak and have the language of authority and faith and that they will be unafraid to confront the works of the enemy and destroy it wherever it's found destroying injustice destroying systems that oppress children that exploit children that exploit women that expose North Korean women that are trapped in North Korea uh, in, in China systems to, to, to take those on and to destroy the works of the devil God I pray Father Lord raise up an army of mighty warriors that will pray with authority in this house Lord I just decree and declare that in this house there's a shift coming for the prayer life of this church where we go from praying with zeal and praying with passion and fire to praying with authority I declare that we're entering into that now and the leadership of this house take hold of these teachings and find more teachings and begin to catch to catch this new shift begin to move out and exercise it we thank you that it's already happening God. in Jesus name Amen Amen